What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jake. We're back. Uh, we're in the midst of the second round of the playoffs now. The Eastern Conference, both teams have played four games. The Western Conference, both teams have played two games since we've last been on, which was a week ago now, last Monday. We re- released an episode. Um Houston won their series versus OKC in a really thrilling series. And Denver came back from a 3-1 uh, series deficit to beat the Jazz. And I think maybe the most exciting first-round matchup we had. Um, since then, the Lakers and Rockets are now matched up. Denver and the Clippers. And then on the East, we already went through our predictions. Miami and Boston and or Miami and Milwaukee, Boston and Toronto. Um but we're going to start off, I think, with the biggest surprise so far through the second round, and that's with Miami and Milwaukee. Miami has a 3-1 three series, series lead. Um, they were up 3-0. They lost yesterday in overtime. Milwaukee was without Giannis, who uh, sprained his ankle uh, even more after spraining his ankle in the first quarter of game uh, three. I'll just pose the question just like this. Does Milwaukee have a shot? No, Milwaukee does not have a shot. And as a fan, I've been waiting to talk about this series for a little while. Um, actually, been surprised. Um, and we're Miami Heat fans, and and I have friends, you know, a bunch of friends that are Miami Heat fans. So I think everyone's just a little surprised um, because we we went on air and. Uh, the pod and, and I had said Bucks in six but now you look at the Heat winning in five um, and I think that's probably where my, my prediction goes to end out this series is Heat in five but um, I know the series isn't over yet um, but you just look at what Milwaukee um, what they're really made of in the playoffs I believe they're seven and ten I want to say um, I could be wrong on that but as of yesterday, or excuse me, I think they're they won yesterday, so eight and nine on the postseason. Um, or I think that's since yeah, that's since the bubble. So since since coming back in the bubble, they're eight and nine um, compared to their great regular season. So you can really see what they're made of in the playoffs. Uh, yesterday was a great group effort. I thought that that was their best game, even without Giannis. I think that was one of their best games um, that they had um, put up a fight in game. And you see what happened there. They, they were really consistent throughout the whole game. Um, I thought going into overtime that that Miami had that game just because of what I've seen from them closing out games, especially with Jimmy Butler. But they did a good job of um, – the Bucks did a good job of really closing out that game. You had Middleton who hit some big shots down the stretch. Uh, you had Tyler Hero for the Heat who did hit a couple threes down the stretch, two threes. One coming off a off-ball screen from Drogic, and then another one, um, just um, you know, taking it uh, sort of a, a really good play drawn up by Spoon was able to hit a three um, from the left wing. So, all in all, um, talking about the whole series, though, it's just I think just the Heat have more heart in it, um, and you talk about what really led up to this series um, and Pat Riley. Really, this is this is the the identity of a Pat Riley team, and you see it from, from head to toe 
just their will and their fight. They may not be on paper better than the Milwaukee Bucks, but they've shocked a lot of people, including myself. And you look at just within the past year of moves that Pat Riley has made to get guys on this team, trading away Hassan Whiteside, who clearly doesn't have the identity for this team, uh, a lazy, um, low post, um, low post threat. Um, but he, he just doesn't have that culture in him and was able to, to trade him uh, to get Myers Leonard, who may not have that um, type of talent, but has more of the, the, the work ethic and the, the attitude to be on the heat. Uh, and then you can't say enough about that Memphis trade as well uh, with Dre- Jay Crowder, who I had said was, was the steal of that, that trade before anyone else did. Um, and I can, I can say that because you know, no one has, has seen him uh, or no one has really believed in him um, you know, like, like I have, um, I think that he's always been a reliable scorer and just hasn't had that spotlight as he was in Memphis and you have a guy like Iggy. So there, there's a lot to go. I haven't even touched on, uh, the job that Bam's done, uh, in terms of consistency night in night out, but it, it's a lot of Miami and, and not enough of Milwaukee. And I think that's, that's done, you know, with the job of, Eric Spolster and just how they've been able to build the wall and and um, and really close out on the defensive end, especially against Giannis. Um, and it's going to be tough. Uh, there's a lot of rumors about Giannis not necessarily coming back in the next game, but we'll have to see for that because um, that obviously makes a big difference. Or maybe it doesn't because they they look better without him to be honest. Um, and I don't know if that's like a a reverse effect type thing. I just don't know. Uh- why they were playing better, but I, I think I think it was more um and and I was gonna get into this was I, I just think that the ball movement is better. It's not a stagnant the offense and I think that's also coaching. I think Mike Bootenholzer has done a terrible job to be quite frank with you uh in this series. I mean just the he I think that just giving the ball to Giannis at the top of the key you saw in game one wasn't going to work. And he kind of, he's had a history though of really not making adjustments in playoff series. And it's showing again that, Hey, you need to get Giannis off ball and get him on the wings and stuff, because then he can do the most damage there against this heat team. Um, but before I do that, you, you, I need to address something else because that's been really bothering me in this series. And it's gone both ways. It's the officiating. And I think it's through the whole playoffs. I mean, it's just been horrendous. I think, Game two um, was probably the most horrendous officiating I've ever seen in my life. That's uh, where the Heat ended. The Heat ended up winning on free throws with time expired. Um, I've been watching basketball for about 15 years. I've never seen that in my life, uh, and I'm a Heat fan. And I was still in shock how that was a foul on Jimmy Butler. I mean, it was more of a foul than on the other end with Chris Milton, Goran Dragic going straight up in the air. Um, <laughs> I just. The, 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 this officiating in these playoffs has gotten worse and worse. The the reviews for flagrant fouls, and this is not only in the Heat series, I just felt I needed to address this because it was something that's really bothering me. Um, every game I'm watching, there's at least five to six reviews about, is it a flagrant foul? Is it this? Is it that? I mean, it's just like, I don't, I don't understand, you know, I guess the guy, they're making the NBA so soft now. It's just a guy get, get look looks the wrong way at another player, and he gets a flagrant foul. It's just to me, it, it's horrendous. Um, the officiating, the whoever was on that call, um, 
uh, on game two for the Heat and Bucks, I think should really they make sure that they don't come back for the conference finals or finals because you can't have that happen, especially in, in those games. And these games are already big enough. Um, and there's that, also that, lots of reviews, which speaks to the reli- yeah, like, yeah. just how reliable they are as, as, as referees. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, reviews just to determine calls, but also, like I said, just flagrant fouls and stuff. I, I just don't. And then they have this new thing, a hostile act, which I never heard of before the bubble, they call it. Um, I find it pretty funny. Hostile. It's just, you know, the guy gets slapped on the arm the wrong way and, and it's a flagrant foul. I think it's just terrible. Um, the whole I, I don't know how to I don't know how players should defend a jump shooter anymore. I guess just leave him alone. I mean, besides the point, players now are, are fouling the hell out of uh, jump shots, and, and they need to work on that themselves, but there's really no way to defend a, a jump shooter anymore because they have them so protected. I understand the landing and, and making sure that their ankles and feet are all good, but, you know, it's it's how do you defend a guy when a guy is throwing his feet out and jumping forward so that way he lands on, on the defender, that way that the foul gets called. So something needs to happen. Um, all I know is the officiating has been horrendous, but Going back to the original point that we were talking about in, in this series, yeah, I, I mean, listen, it's 2020. Anything could happen. Uh, 139 teams have been down 3-0. None of them have ever came back. But like I just said, it's 2020. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, the Bucks. I this is this is my feeling. This game five tomorrow for the Heat. I think it's they need to go into it as a must win because you let you let the Bucks get that win. All of a sudden, you know they get some confidence, some momentum. And as much as there's really no momentum, no confidence because of no home court, no going on the road, it, it, it would, it would be scary. And I think the heat, um, I think the heat will come out of a much different team. I think you saw uh, not, not that they were not motivated, just a different type of heat team yesterday in the, in game four, um, because through three games of this series, it was, it wasn't even close. I mean, I know game three, uh, the Bucks had just a terrible meltdown, but I think this is where, and, and Jake and I have shied away from talking about the Heat on this podcast because we are Heat fans and, and we wanted to expand and talk about different teams throughout this year, but I'm, you need to give the Heat props. I'm tired of watching the national media and all they're talking about is how the Bucks are, are doing terrible things. It's not what the Heat are doing right, it's what the Bucks are doing wrong. No matter if you watch TNT, ESPN, uh, what, whatever you watch, that that's what um, Fox Sports, whatever, that's all they're talking about is that, hey, the Bucks are doing this, this, and this wrong, but it's never the Heat are doing this, this, and this right. And, and I think that's why me and you were giving our props to the Heat and talking so much about the Heat in these past two episodes because what they're doing is tremendous. I know I picked the Bucks in seven. Um, I really wanted to pick the Heat, but at the same time, I just I didn't know and I didn't want to go with bias. Um, I mean, they've done a terrific job. Jimmy Butler has, has, I mean, besides the last game where I think the game that they lost, I think he could have been way more aggressive in the end of the game. You saw in games one and three, a, a guy on a mission. Um, there's a clip of, I think it was like three minutes left in the game, in game three, where the Bucks, the heater, the Bucks called a timeout, and Jimmy just stood there for like 10 seconds, just staring off into space. Just, he was in another zone. I mean, it was what he's done in this series between him, Goran Drogic, I think, has shown for 34 years old, he's playing tremendous. Bam Adebayo, game four, 26 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists. I mean, just this guy is special, and he's not even hit his, his, you know, he's not even close to his ceiling. That's how scary that is. 
Um, Jay Crowder has has just knocked down shot after shot, and and I mean he doesn't miss. Uh, Andre Godal is playing great defense. Tyler here, I mean this kid has big, you know what, um, hitting big shots yesterday. Even though they didn't win, Kelly Olynyk has done his part. Um, just this whole team, I mean, like you said, they are the definition of a, of a Pat Riley heat culture team, Eric Spolstra, um, credit to Eric Spolstra and his coaching staff, because what they've drawn up is just tremendous. And I think yesterday, you know, you look at at yesterday's win for Milwaukee and I'm sorry, Chris Middleton's not going to put up 36, eight and eight each game. Um, you're not going to have that, uh, Every game, and that's why I think, you know, if he were to do that every game, even without Giannis, I'd be like, okay, I would be scared if I'm the Heat. I don't think he's going to do that. Also, the Heat will game plan um, for, you know, if Giannis plays, doesn't play. Uh, they didn't have that, and, and that's not an excuse for the Heat. I think you should always be ready no matter what happens in a playoff series just because there's so much going on and so much twists and turns. But um, I think, listen, Chris Middleton was big time yesterday. He, he put the team on his back. And really, I mean, down the stretch, you saw a difference in that offense just in terms of the ball movement. And then when they did ISO, it was Chris Middleton switching off, getting picks, getting, you know, Drogic to switch off on him, Tyler Hero to switch off on him, uh, whoever besides if it was Jake Rudd or Jimmy Butler, he did not want them guarding him. And I think the Bucks did a tremendous job yesterday in doing that. Uh, normally, you know, the Heat, are, as a Heat fan, I've watched them in multiple overtime games this season, and they've been terrific. But yesterday, just... You know, they just the offense got stagnant, and uh, it was really the worst offense that I've seen from this Heat team in these playoffs. Um, listen, <laughs> like you said, I think the series is over. Um, I think it'll end in five. I don't think the Heat want to mess around anymore. Not that they were messing around yesterday, but I think that they'll put this series to bed and and, and let uh, the Celtics and Raptors just you know battle it out, which we'll talk about next, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think as far as we talk about the national media giving the Heat a, a bad, um, just just talking about just uh, you know hating and 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 whatnot, and I just think that that there really isn't if if there is any hate or if there is any doubt, I think that that's gone away. I think that if anything, it's it's a bunch of nonsense because. Look at the team you're matching up against. This guy, I mean, we we would have to go into NBA history and find out the last team to get swept with the best record. That was, I, I saw a stat on that. I think it was the, the 2001 Spurs had the best record and got swept by the Lakers. So that was the last team to get swept with the best record. Um, and you're talking, you're talking about they got swept by Kobe and Shaq. So, I mean, there's, there's a Shaq, difference. Yeah. yeah, there's a difference. And and I think not to interrupt you, but it's always going to be there. Miami sports is something, you know, as we live in Miami, they always get, you know, excuse me, shit on um, year after year, no matter if that's the Marlins and Dolphins and other sports, uh, the Florida Panthers, or if it's the Heat. Um, and I think that the Heat are coming in and they don't care. They feel it's them against the world. I know Heat fans. Um if you're not a Heat fan, you're like, oh, these cocky Heat fans. Oh, yeah, when we embrace it, we know we're toxic fan base, <laughs> and we love it. Um, and if we're, we seem biased, good, because I hope we are biased right now, because we're, I know I'm tired of, of uh, 
the slander from the national media, but at the same time, I love it. Keep, keep doubting because this team's on a mission and no one on this Miami Heat team was ever picked highly. No, no one was ever recruited highly. Um, no one was, you know, none of these players were top anything in their classes. Everyone was doubted at one point or another. The highest overall pick is our rookie, Tyler Hero, at 13th. Otherwise, Jimmy Butler, 30th overall pick. Goran Drogic, second round pick. Um, Duncan Robinson, undrafted free agent. Um, I mean, you just look at all these guys. I mean, no one was ever, uh, no one was ever thought to have been a star coming out of out of college. And and even while they're in the NBA, some of these guys have been counted out. So I, I just think it's it's been a terrific, terrific showing. But the job's not done. And I think that's what the Heat keep preaching. Um, just because they win this series doesn't mean hey, you know, our our job is done here. Now that they're going for it all. I think um, I know right now. I believe they're the betting favorites uh, to make make it out of the East to go to the finals. And do I think they can win the finals? I, I don't know. Um, again, weirder things have happened, and who knows? I, I still think that the Clippers win it all, um, and we'll get into that series in a little bit. But besides that, I hope yeah. we came off as I hope we came off as cocky Heat fans because I think that's what we intended to come on here and do. And uh, hopefully, the next when we come on here. Uh, Saturday, I hope this series is over and we're talking about, you know, the conference finals between the Heat and, and either the Raptors and uh, Celtics. Yeah. By the way, the highest draft pick is actually uh, Andre Godala, technically. Oh, what, what was he? Uh, 2004 pick nine, so. Oh, okay, he was, okay. But you're talking, yeah, okay. Uh, this is, yeah. Then, yeah, the, you know what yeah we don't have to get technically, too, technically. Andre Godala. Te- 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 okay, if, if people are going to come after me for that. Um. I yeah, do not want to turn to the series that uh, that whoever wins this the Bucks uh, Heat series they'll be playing and that's the Raptors and Celtics. Um, the Celtics were about 0.5 seconds away uh, from going up 3-0 in the series, and now it's 2-2. Uh, OG Ananobi hit a fantastic, I mean, just heave um, at a on an inbounds play to get that series to 2-1. Then the Toronto came back in game four, tied it up at 2-2, and we have a series now. Um, I know I said Toronto in six, I believe. Uh, you still good with your prediction? I'm probably going to uh, revise my prediction and go Celtics in seven. But, yeah, it's probably what I'll end up doing. Um, but, yeah, if you have any thoughts on that, I mean, I'll, I, I can go if you want no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. So tell me what, tell me what you're first. Thinking. Well, it's a tale of two ends um, here. Not well, not necessarily if we're talking game three. I think that was the most competitive game and one of the more exciting games if if you actually watched it um, mm-hmm. in its entirety, especially down the stretch. Um, not only that big shot by by OG, but like a fantastic pass from from Kemba Walker. I thought that pass was like. I mean, you look at the game and you see that no look. I mean, it's on the money. Yeah, that, that, um, that, and that was yeah. No, that was terrific. Yeah. So I I thought down the stretch there was there was some good plays being made from both sides, and I thought both sides played played fairly fairly well. Um. So I think the third game and and the Celtics here could have been up three zero. Um. Because I think if you look at game three, it was it was a toss up to me, uh, just in terms of you look at. Um, the stats and and just the gameplay yeah, from that night. I mean, it really is a toss five up. seconds away. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's evident with what you just said. So, game one and two, I got to give it to the Celtics. I just feel like they were 
uh, we talked about this before because I think we had a pod um, after game one. Mm-hmm. And I was really worried about the Raptors, um, especially their backcourt with Van Vliet and, and Lowry. I felt like they didn't show up at all. Um, and Van Vliet's been a little bit more consistent, but Kyle Lowry has really uh, turned it up a notch. Um, compared to game one, uh, you know, game one he had 17 points. And then you look at game two, he had 16. Uh, since, since then, he's really turned it up. Game three, 31, eight and, eight and six. And then uh, last night, or excuse me, two nights ago, um, two nights ago, he managed to get, no, 22, seven and 11. I don't think we're looking at the same game. But yeah, we're probably not. Yeah. So, I mean, just really turning it up um, in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, his, his gameplay there, which is something that I was really concerned about. And that's something I, I think in, in, in general, I think this team, um, and it's, it's really, it's really true with, even if I think Kawhi still like, like Kawhi's championship last year has helped them a lot because they still have that championship DNA throughout their whole roster. It doesn't matter if he's there or not. So you can see that with the way that they bounce back in this series. Um, I think that, if I could have taken the Celtics in that game three had OG not hit that shot um, because, I mean, I, I thought that was terrible. That was bad coaching, terrible miscommunication from Jalen Brown um, and the crew. And just um, he was late getting over um, no matter how well he, he contested it. It was it was a late uh, contest. And I could have taken anyone in that game. I think Celtics would have taken that series. You know, just, we would be talking about them like we would with the Heat right now, which, which is, you know, the series would be over. But instead, the Raptors have battled back, and that's just part in their um, championship mentality. And that's something that's developed since last year, and it's showing now. Um, and as for the Celtics, they haven't been nearly what they, what they were, in, especially in the first two games. I thought they played great. Um, even in the third game, but the fourth game wasn't wasn't really all that, and um, and I just thought yeah. that the Raptors are are, yeah, no, are here to play. Yeah. No, you you made some uh, good points, and I think I want to pick up where I left off when we talked about this series after Game One, and I was really critical of Pascal Siakam, and I think in these two games that they won, he really picked it up, um, especially in Game Four. I think he really picked it up. He had. I, th- I believe 22 or 20. He had, excuse me, one. So uh, basically, you know, he, he picked it up. He had uh, in game four, oh, he had 16, seven, and seven. But still, I just feel like, uh, no, that's game three. Uh, game four, he had, I'll, I'll do the math for you here, uh, 23, 11, uh, 23, 11 rebounds, two assists. Yeah. So I think he really picked up his game and I think that's what they need. He's that number one option. Um, and something that if they want to win this series, he's going to need to come up big time. Like you said, Fred Vliet has come up big time. Kyle Lowry, um, has done great. And, um, I think that this series could have been over and, and I'm still not, listen, I'm not going to change my prediction just cause I'm stubborn like that. And I'm going to stick with, uh, Raptors and, and, in six, but the Celtics, I mean, they look really, really good between, you know, Jason Tatum, 
uh, Jalen Brown, Kember Walker, and then you know you have Marcus Smart, who to me is the heart and soul of that team. Um, he might his stats might not look flashy, but what he's doing on the court between his defense, you know, getting down, you know, if there's a loose ball, he's on the floor trying to get it. Um, their bench is my only concern, just because I, they're not deep off the bench, and and uh, that's my only concern. But besides that, I mean, they they have so many options to go to um, for scoring and stuff. And, you know, my, like I said, I don't think you're going to be able to stop J Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, Kemba Walker has had just a phenomenal series. Um, so it's going to be interesting, I think. Um, I think this series will go, well, obviously it's going to go six, but I see the potential for it to go seven. Um, I think that, listen, game fives are always huge in a playoff series, um, especially when tied 2-2, but, you know, we're in a bubble. I, I don't know. You know, it's not like, you know, the, normally the Raptors would be home and they would be in the Air Canada Center um, or whatever the arena is now called. I still call it the Air Canada Center. Uh, and Jurassic Park would be going crazy. But, you know, they're in a bubble and and it doesn't really make a difference. You know, who's the home team? Uh, just on paper, it does. And, you know, I think that it, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting, I think, to see you know does this how how game five uh, plays out um i think that like i said pascal siakam to me is is the difference mate you know he's the number one player but also he's the x factor in this series if he can play and take over games like the raptors expect him to and like everyone else does uh there's no stopping this raptors team but at the same time you know boston when you have three four guys you know scoring 15 20 plus points a night uh, that's hard to stop as well. Yeah, I was going to make one more point. I think it's interesting to, to point out that the in the in the playoffs in general, I think small ball lineups have given teams trouble. You talk about the Celtics, um, and just to name off a couple teams here, which we'll go into detail on, on the Rockets as well in a little bit, but the Celtics, the Rockets, even the Miami Heat, which we've seen with Giannis and if he wouldn't have got hurt yesterday, Giannis probably would have went for at least 40 or something around that. Yeah. Um, Cause he was really turning up in the, in the first, in the first half before he got hurt, I believe a couple minutes into the second. So, mm -hmm. so with the small ball lineups, it's, it's, it's really caught teams off guard. And you see with, with this Celtics Raptors series um, that, the Celtics were able to catch the Raptors off guard. Again, you can, with a small ball lineup, um, you're more disadvantaged on, on uh, the glass, which kind of contradicts in a way, I guess I contradict myself a little bit because Russell Westbrook last night had 11 offensive rebounds um, or something like that. He had 11 rebounds last night. It was some, something like uh, at least over 10, 13. 13. Okay. 13, so, 13. Yeah. right. So he had, so I, at least I, I kind of contradict myself a little bit, but at the same time, you, you have, if, if you have a team that's built for small ball, like I'll take the heat, for example, you have multiple guys that you can throw at their team's best offensive player. And usually at least for like the bucks, um, even if you want to take the Raptors with their best player being Siakam, um, and it's argue, arguable the last couple of games between him and, and Lowry with Lowry showing up in, in game four. But um, but it, it, especially with the great bigs that we have in our, our game today, 
there is an emphasis on on playing small ball, and it's worked. And you can see that it, that it's caught teams off guard, um, like the ones that I mentioned. So I thought I'd just mention that because it's it's caught my eye in a lot of these series. Yeah, and you mentioned small ball, and I think that's a perfect transition into uh, this Lakers-Houston uh, series, which is tied 1-1. Um, last night, the Lakers won 117-109 in game two. And a game that was much closer than I expected, to to be quite honest. And I think someone... Um, I think the Rockets could have could have won this game down the stretch if it wasn't for Russell Westbrook. And and I know um, just before we came on here, I was watching a first take and I, I was watching Get Up and uh, Russell Westbrook. I mean, it just it it's it worries me the way he especially he played last night. Um, it wasn't only him last night, but down the stretch, I, I I was watching that game and I think there was three four minutes left or even less. There was about two minutes left. It started at the four minute mark, I think, when I really honed in on the game and they were down eight or nine and, and the Lakers couldn't score for them lot for their lives, but neither could the Rockets. And I, and uh, who I was sitting with watching the game, I said, if the Rockets could only um, just get a couple buckets here, they would really be in this game and they would have a chance to win. And they just couldn't um, Russell Westbrook was, I don't know why, instead of driving to the basket, shooting threes. And, and it was almost like the Lakers were giving them the, the Ben Simmons treatment, um, which, to be quite honest, I mean, he shot four for 15 last night, only at 10 points, uh, four assists. He did have 13 rebounds. Um, but to me, if he's going to play like this, the Rockets don't have a shot in this series. I think he needs to be aggressive, attack, um, and, and things like that. Because uh, game one, they surprised me. I think that I, I thought that they, and I know we're going to get into the Nuggets and Clipper series in a little bit. I thought they were going to come out like the Clipper or, or the Nuggets did against the Clippers and really just be tired, not have a showing after going seven games of a physical series. Um, but they came out and, and really, I mean, they destroyed the Lakers and, and I thought they had the potential to go up 2-0 yesterday. I really did, even though the Lakers played terrific yesterday um, between LeBron and AD combining for 60 plus points. But I mean, you look and compare to game one where, where Russ put up 24-9-9 and uh, even though he still shot horrendous from the field, I think it's that he was driving, attacking, um, not shooting as many three-pointers, and 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 doing what he does best. And even though, you know, this Houston offense is uh, a three-point-centric offense, I think he's the perfect balance because he drives and it makes other team, you know, believe, hey, we still need to guard the post because Russell's going to drive, and when he drives, he can kick it out. If that's to Robert Covington, if that's to Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker – or if it's to James Harden, even though James Harden normally creates his own shot. Um, and James Harden had a, had a pretty decent game yesterday as well. So this series is, is um, I think it's going to be much more competitive. I know we didn't make predictions, and I guess I'll, I'll do a prediction kind of in the middle of the series here. I, I'm, I'm going to go Lakers at six. Um, I think the Rockets just, like, like they continue to do, they live by their three and die by their three. And I think yesterday they died by it late in the game. They just couldn't make a shot. Um, and and I think that that's where it is. I think for the Lakers, though, um, Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma came up real huge yesterday. I think uh, Markeith Morris hit like four quick threes right when he came in. In the first half, he only had like four mm-hmm. second half points, but still was huge. Kyle Kuzma, six of seven from the field. If he If he can do that each night and – I know he only scored 13, but if he can just put up that those type of uh, product efficiency each night, I mean, 
they're, they're really going to put up a fight uh, pending that them and the Clippers can make it to the Western Conference Finals. Um, like I've been saying, though, I don't know if I can, you know, can you um, rely on, <laughs> besides LeBron and AD, which you know are going to put up their statue tonight, who else can you rely on? Because Kyle Kuzma's not going to do that every night. Marquise Morris is not going to do that every night. I know you have a whole bunch of other guys that you can say, hey, you know, if one of them, if they can just take turns, you know, if that if it's Danny Green's time where he puts up, you know, five, six threes. Or, you know, KCP, can he put 15 points a night in one of those games? Then, you know, it's different, but I, I just don't know. I mean, you look at the rest of the roster last night, Alex Russo, two points, KCP, five points, Danny Green, okay. He went, I mean, he, he had, he shot it good from uh, downtown three for five, but I don't know. It's just, uh, and then, you know, J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters went out with injury, only playing two minutes, and then J.R. Smith didn't play. So it should be interesting. I think for the Lakers, though, they need to not adapt to the small ball mentality because that's what they're doing. And I think that's what the, that's why they lost game one. Um, I think they AD needs they need to pound it inside with AD because there's no stopping him. I know, you know, JaVale McGee also went out with injury. He only played eight minutes, but I think he wasn't going to play that much anyway because they are adapting. And you kind of need to, but at the same time, I think on the offensive end, you need to get AD in the post and let him go to work because PJ Tucker, with all due respect, I don't think can guard him. PJ Tucker's been a great defender, um, but you know that's also when the shooters need to come up because they're going to start doubling him. And when he can kick it out to Danny Green or or Kyle Kuzma or KCP, that's when you know the Lakers become uh, the scariest team. Yeah, I, I have to say, in, in terms of the Rockets, um, not the best game uh, last night. They did come up huge. I think the first game was a lot of uh, Lakers defensive miscues, and I think a lot of um, we saw that strength of a small ball lineup for, for the Rockets in terms of their defense. Um, they're the number one defense in the postseason, so that's something that's noteworthy. Um, but... Aside from that, we look at last night's game, and that's that's it's a big turning point in this series because when a team figures you out, your small ball lineup, um, and this this team being the Lakers, when they figure you out, it's it's a tough road um, to come. I think that I, I'd have to agree. I think Lakers in six. I think, um, I, I don't know. I I I think Russell Westbrook. You point to him first. Um, you alluded to him just not having that great of a game last night. And, and there was multiple occasions where he would dribble down the court, um, take it the length of the court and just turn it over. Um, you know, whether that dribble dribbled off of himself or it was just, it, it was really bad. Um, I think the only thing he did well, we mentioned his 13 rebounds. That was the only thing he did well. I think everything else was atrocious um, and let's also point out that the Rockets also gave the same treatment they, that the Lakers did um, on Russell Westbrook to Rajon Rondo. And Rajon Rondo was able to, to capitalize on a lot of those buckets. Um, and what's smart about Rondo is he was hitting threes, but also he was able to take those mid-range shots, something that Russell Westbrook wasn't able to do. Um, he was just jacking up threes instead. And... Um, Again, that's kind of the, the telling of the story here. Um, James Harden, Harden needed more help, um, which he did have help um, with Eric Gordon. Um, had a big game for them, uh, scoring 24 points. 
and you do have some consistency as far as um, the three point shooters on that team. They scored twenty. They they had uh, the fourth most in postseason history with twenty two three. They took a lot of threes. Um, there was times where, uh, you know, thought thought they were going to take the mid-range. Nope, got to kick it out, try and get a three. Doesn't matter how open the mid-range is. Um, they're just a straight perimeter team, um, yeah. and they're going to beat you from the outside. And you've seen that. You saw that in, in several runs yesterday where they were able to come back, especially in the second half, opening the second half with with multiple threes leading to a Vogel timeout. But but yeah, I mean they, they they live and die by the three. I think that's the consensus there. Um, but yeah, I think that Russell Westbrook needs to be more. Um, and I also think that I mean this just speaks to how great LeBron and AD are. You you look at AD and his his mid range game. I I did think that that PJ Tucker. I, I thought that he's played probably the best defense I've seen on AD. I think a lot of his contests were were spot on. I also thought that prior to like I, I thought that denying the ball as well, not even letting AD um, get in the groove and and just denying the pass to him, they they did a good job of sending a double over there. Um, you know, prior to him getting the ball, so that also disrupted yeah, him I, as well. But but no, yeah, I think yeah. he, but he's. I mean, no, yesterday he still put up thirty four points. So I think that's where. And and I say it every episode. If the Lakers want to win a championship, he needs to be the lead role. And I think it. it listen, I don't want to compare him to Joel Embiid, but it's the same thing. These big men, they like to get out on the perimeter, and for some odd reason, instead of, and I know the game is not like this anymore, but instead of going into the post and just playing bully ball because no one can guard Joel Embiid, no one can guard Anthony Davis. They like to sit out on the three-point line and, and take mid-range and take shots. And, yeah, that's a, that expands their game. But it can only expand your game so much before it's like, okay, you're not going to the other part of your game. That's maybe the most dominant part of your game. Or it's not maybe, it is. Um, and then for the Rockets, <laughs> you, you can't say it enough. They live by the three, they die by the three. Um, they couldn't make a shot at all uh, the last couple minutes of that game. And it should. I think, like you said, they had wide open mid-range, and instead they just kick it back out. And I know that's their offense, but sometimes you need to, you know, if something's not working, try something new. And, and they weren't doing that. Um, it showed, and, and I think they can win another game just because you saw how they played yesterday and how close they were to win. They came back from double-digit uh, um, yesterday to, to make it close. It was like a one-point game at one point in the fourth quarter, two-point game. And then they let it slip away again. So I think they can get another game, but I, you know I don't think I don't I think LeBron you know he's I was watching his post game press conference and he said hey we we had to feel them out in game one they're a very fast team not only the small ball but they go up and co- down the court very fast um, and and they like to get up and down the court like I just said so uh, I think that you know the Lakers now know what they have know what they need to do and but like I said I, I don't think they should go down to their level and, and go on that small ball level. I think you still need to play JaVale McGee, um, even maybe get uh, Dwight Howard some minutes. Yeah, I don't know why uh, Vogel didn't play him at all. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, so um, that's ba- that's uh, basically it for this series. Uh, I do What I do want to get into next is Steve Nash, I think with maybe the most uh, surprising – of uh, 
coaching hires was hired by the Brooklyn Nets in uh, this past week. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Man, I, I think there's a lot of speculation as to whether he's going to do, do a good job or not. Um, and there's going to be a lot of anticipation for this Brooklyn Nets team already with just the offseason they had uh, last offseason with, with getting Katie and Kyrie and then just the injuries that have happened. Um, and there's a lot of there, – there is a, really a lot of speculation um, with their whole entire team in general. Um, first off, I, I want to say I, I just – I really don't get um, to this day, I, I don't get the firing of Atkinson, I guess. I think it's it's kind of similar to the gentry where you kind of want to change up the culture, um, I guess. But I, I just um, – it, it's not – I would say it's it's not the same as Gentry in the fact that because because the Brooklyn Nets had a really um, successful season. I mean, and so so did the Pelicans if you look at it. So I guess that 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 point isn't really um, valid there. But but yes, as far as Atkinson, I I didn't really get why they they. Uh, I, I get it's a, it's a culture change and whatnot, but he he developed a lot of players there. Um, I guess it's just not on the timeline of the Nets. I think that's a lot of reasons why. Um, unless you want to look at Jim Boylan, who was an obvious firing, um, but just uh, not not the correct timeline of the team right now. Um, which I guess I get that in a way, but I, I think Atkinson's a great coach. He he deserves a job. So, but to get on to the Nash uh, subject here, man, Steve Nash, I, I I have a good feeling about this, and I, I think a lot of people are going to say, well, Jake, you know, he's a new coach. You know, you can't really. Uh, you can't really, you know, say that about him because, you know, he hasn't even coached an NBA game. But let's be honest here. The guy is a basketball genius. You, you talk to anyone around the league, guarantee you they'll probably say Steve Nash, that's a guy that ha- should have an NBA coaching job. And I know it came straight out, out of left field, but the guy's been under Mike D'Antoni, one of, one of the best coaches that we've seen. Um and again, there's there's better coaches than him, but Mike D'Antoni is a is a pretty damn good coach um, and has a, a great basketball IQ. He's the reason that seven seconds or less is an as an offensive system in, in the game. Um, so he's learned from him. He's also um, picked the brains of Kobe Bryant with uh, you know obviously rest in peace, but but he's p- picked the brains of Kobe Bryant when he was on the the Lakers. He's learned from some of the game's best and. And he's developed his own sort of um, basketball scheme, basketball mind as well, right? So um, I think this is going to be a good hire, and especially since he's worked as a player development consultant for the Warriors. Um, you got to think that this has kind of been a KD Kyrie. Um, they kind of had a really big say in this. So it'd be obvious if uh, or it would be pretty nonsense if it wasn't um, their decision um, and their say in the end. And so – uh, it's, it's a game where you have to listen to your players. Um, and so GM Sean Marks did just that, listened to his players, got the coach that, that they want to lead to or that they want to give the, the lead to. And uh, I think it'll be fine. Um, I think a lot of uh, comparisons he, get, he gets um, because he is a first-time coach is, is Jason Kidd. But remember, Jason Kidd came into a situation where he wasn't trying to win now. Right, he was trying to develop Giannis, and you could attribute a little a little bit of that to Jason Kidd. I don't know how much, but you could attribute attribute a little bit. So, I guess 
that's that's the probably the the only fair comparison um, there, just because first year head coach. But um, I I have a good feeling about Steve Nash. Um, and again, you're in a in a position where you're win now, which could be the opposite effect. It could be negative because you have all these expectations, and if you don't meet them, then there's going to be criticism to follow. But I have a good feeling. I just feel like Steve Nash is, is uh, again, maybe not the right position for the job. I felt, that, felt like there was better options. But when you start thinking about it in the mind he has for the game, um, I thought it was a great hire. Yeah. Um, I want to start off somewhere where I, I didn't want to go. Um, but I have to go back to what – it was. I was watching first take, and Stephen A. Smith really caught me by surprise when when he had the, a take on this. And um, listen, we we. I know you weren't on the podcast, Javon and I talked about uh, what's going on in this world and, and racial injustice and this, that, the third, um, which is still very important and still needs to be on people's minds. Um, with that, go out and vote, um, as well, and and all of that, uh, for the message, but. He, he called it white privilege, the Steve Nash hiring, and, and, and that really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, it did that because, listen, you look at, he, he blamed it on the fact that, hey, you know, there's a lot of great uh, black coaches out there, and I agree. Um, you look at uh, Sam Cassell, who hasn't got a, um, a, co- a coaching head coaching job yet, who, you know, could, probably deserves one. Um, there's Ty Lu, who to me, I don't know how good of a coach he is. Just that's me. Um, I know people can say the same for Eric Sposter before this year, cause you know, not winning and he had LeBron, but me, I don't know how good of a coach he is. Um, a lot of people vouch for him. I bet he'll get another head coaching job somewhere. Um, there there's Nate McMillan just got fired. He, I think he should definitely get picked up. He's a great coach, but this wasn't that. And he was saying, well, he just, there's a lot of guys with credentials. Steve Nash has no credentials, and that made it white privilege. Well, to me, no, that, that's not where it's at. Um, to me, he had privilege, yes. What, Steve Nash had privilege, but it wasn't because of his skin color. It's because of who he is. Um, you look at a lot of former, especially point guards, if that's Magic Johnson, if that's Isaiah Thomas, if that's um, uh, Jason Kidd, if that's Derek Fisher, all of these guys, and Derek Fisher and Jason uh, Kidd got it right after they retired. Literally, they didn't even have a year of retirement um, before they got a head coaching job. And, and not to make this race thing again, but they were black coaches. Um, I know they weren't in a position to win a championship their first year like Steve Nash will be. But listen, it's, it, the NBA is all about connections um, and who you know. Uh, Sean Marks was a teammate of Jason Kidd's, uh, excuse me, of Steve Nash's in Phoenix. They've known each other for a long time. And also Steve Nash worked with Kevin Durant and Golden State as a consultant uh, in, in practice and stuff. And like you said, Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving had to have signed off on this. Uh, you just don't make a, 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 a surprise coaching hire like this when your two biggest stars going into next season are blindsided by it. No, they know. Um, to me, it was a questionable move. I think that, you know, I don't know if you want to do this. I would rather go out and get a more experienced coach. Um, I know that, you know, Kyrie's had his issues with coaches and if you can find a coach that he likes and respects, then that's great. I still don't know. Um, again, 
good luck to Steve uh, Steve Nash in getting Kyrie under control. Hopefully he can, and just you know, kind of keeping him because this team can make a run as you add to the East teams that are already. Um, the Bucks are going to be there. The Raptors, the Celtics. You can add the Heat in there because you know you look at what they're doing this year. Um, the Pacers, pending on on how you know what happens with Victor Oladipo and and who they get as a coach. So the East is is deep in terms of you know teams that can compete. I don't know if the, all of those teams can win finals, but yeah. So um, it was an interesting hire, really. I mean, I know it caught everyone by surprise, but I just I didn't like um, the reaction um, from Stephen A. Smith, you know, with why he got hired and, and the so-called privilege um, for getting hired for that uh, to me. And this is again, coming from me, someone who's white himself, but, you know, I, I, I just, I didn't like it. Um, I think that a lot of, a lot of players uh, get first priority when it comes to this type of stuff. And like you said, it's who you know in the NBA. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So, um, but listen, I, I think, uh, the more, you know, the, this has been now, what has it been? Almost a week now since he got hired. And the more I mm. sit on it, I, I, I think he'll do it. I think he'll do a fine job. I think, like I said, he's a consultant. He was a consultant for the past couple of years with the Warriors. So, you know, he saw Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr kind of did the same thing. Never coached before, came in with the Warriors, had a whole bunch of talent. And look where he, look where he is, three championships later. Um, and he, he saw what they've done over there in Golden State. And I think he can definitely bring that to um, Brooklyn. And, and they have a really talented team, Spencer Dinwiddie, a um, whole bunch of guys there that, you know, this year I know wasn't as planned, uh, even though they knew they weren't going to have Kevin Durant. But even in the playoffs with, you know, where basically they had a whole new team for the playoffs. So um, I think he'll do a fine job. They really have trust in him giving a four-year deal. A four-year deal. Um, and, you know, I think I, I don't, you know, there's, listen, Basically, it's going to be a brand new team next year because you're adding, you know, the two biggest pieces are coming in. Kyrie, even though he played, he only played a couple games this season. Kevin Durant hasn't played yet. So they're going to go through growing pains and people will, you know, say, hey, is he the right guy for the job? I think you really need to give it a full season, maybe even, you know, two seasons before you you start questioning it. So, um, yeah, listen, uh, I I wish that Steve Nash the best. I think that, you know, listen, like you said, he he created a whole new offense in the base, seven seconds or less that – uh, Mike D'Antoni's thriving off of so in, in Houston that we just talked about so I think uh, he'll he'll bring a lot to the table he's a great basketball mind he's a, even a better person from what you know listen I don't know him but um, just just seeing him you know on podcast and and from listening to other people around the NBA they no one has anything bad to say about him and, and I think he'll do a fine job yeah I think that we both agree when it comes to the to the basketball perspective um, with this hiring but also, I wanted to bring attention to what you said about the racial um, stuff. I did catch that Stephen A. segment on First Take. Um, but I don't know. I, wanted to, I was pretty curious because like, I just want to know what, what you think when, when people say, because here's the thing with me. I, I get the whole entire, um, I get the whole segment, right? But the, the hiring was, like I said, with, with Katie and Kyrie, right? And they're both black and well, they... And, and got a white coach and Steve Nash. I just don't, I don't know what to well, think of that. It kind of, it kind of contradicts he, what. He, here's, here's the issue. And and again, I didn't want to get into this, but somehow I, I, I brought it up and I think it was, it was necessary to bring up just because of um, implications. There needs to be more uh, African-American coaches in, in NBA. 
Um, there's there's not enough. And and I mentioned uh, four or five just now who I think should get head coaching jobs. I hope Nick McMillan gets another shot because him getting fired just didn't sit right with me um, from the Pacers. I you know they were depleted versus the Heat. Yeah, they got swept, but I just don't think that was right. Um, and and there's some other guys. Uh, there's a guy I forget what team. There's an assistant coach I forget his name. He has a hard name to pronounce. Not. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm going blank now. Um, Pistons. He, no, I, I I forget who I'm talking about now. He's an assistant coach somewhere. Maybe it is with the Pistons. Um, he I, I know he should get hired. Uh, are you talking about? Uh, are you talking about Jack Vaughn or who are you talking about? No, no. Oh, Jack Vaughn too. Um, even though now he's going to be, you know, he's staying on board with the Nets. Not him though. It was another guy. God, I'm going blank now. Um, Jock Vaughn, I think, should definitely get an opportunity what he did with this Nets team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of coaches out there. But uh, I think when, when it comes to coaching, you can't look at it. If you're going to sit here and look at it with uh, race implications, then then you're not going to be hiring the right people for the job. Because um, if that's the way things are going to go now, then, you know, a lot of teams are going to be upset with their hires. Uh, because if you're going to hire the, let's say, the white guy, over the African-American guy just because that's what needs to be done, then that's not right. And if vice versa, um, you know, it's kind of putting teams in, in difficult situations, even though there are coaches out there that are much deserving. Um, I think Ty Lue should get another shot just because, you know, even though I'm not a big fan of his, I think just so he can show, hey, you know, I'm still a good coach in this league without LeBron. Um, so there's a whole bunch of guys. I think Lionel Hollins too, even though he's older, um, I know his name's not thrown around that much. Um, he's another guy that I think could get another opportunity. Um, so listen, guys are going to get it. I'm interested to see who gets hired with the bulls and the Pacers. There's a whole bunch of great, great openings, the Sixers too. Um, there's a, there's a whole bunch of great openings right now in the NBA and it'll be interesting to see who, who gets what. Yeah. I, just to wrap up here, I I get the general implications. I get where you're coming from, um, and all that, but, um, but I, I just didn't really, um, get the sort of take that Stephen A made in terms of because a lot of people were saying that the Nets was the Nets job was sort of uh like like I said Steve Nash was out in left field there was a lot of good candidates that didn't get it that were black um but at the same time you have two of your best players that are black that again this is speculation but two of your best players that are black that wanted this white head coach in Steve Nash so I get the general implications and I hope more black coaches get hired but your two star players are black so i'm just wondering like it, it kind of contradicts a lot of what i was hearing about the racial part but just thought i'd say that i think like i was just curious on that so you yeah, know i i think i think um steven a's point and, and then the point i made are two totally different points um i think that yeah there needs to be more african-american head coaches not only in the nba but in all uh, in all sports um, I think that they there's a lot of great minds that are former players um, that are African American that need that should get a shot. I know in in the NFL the Chiefs and I'm totally going off topic now, but the Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy um, should definitely get a shot. You look at that offense, and I know he has great weapons, but he definitely should get a shot and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think we'll leave it off there. Um, we'll go to our last topic now: Clippers and Nuggets. Uh, that series is tied at one. Um, kind of, you know, I, I think a lot of people thought this series would go quick, even maybe a sweep, and it could, it still could go quick. Um, what have been your thoughts so far in this series? Well, uh, 
based off of the second game because that's been the most recent. Um, I mean, as far as the let, – let me just take the first game first. Um, as far as what the Nuggets – I mean, I, I just – I don't really have too many thoughts on the first game. I mean, really just – it was a blowout. Um, I think they kept it close, and and the, the, the Clippers just took over that series. You look at Kawhi and, and just getting to his spots, getting to the mid-range um, area, that's what he does best. Um, and he was able to do that. Um, you know, you talk about the success he's had, but then you look at game two and he didn't really have so much success. You, you have guys like Jeremy Grant who had a great game against him um, defensively. You look at Gary Harris, Torrey Craig, a bunch of guys stepping up on the defensive end. And then you look at, I, I think the Nuggets are slept on in terms of just how deep they are. You, you look at Gary Harris just coming back last round against the Jazz and what he was able to do. Paul Millsap coming up big um, or, or, or helping out in that matter. Um, you have not only Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic, but you have guys off the bench, Michael Porter Jr. You have Monte Morris with 11 and 10 off the bench, um, respectively. And it's just a, it's, it was a, a total group effort in that second game. Um, and I think they're a team that can catch the Clippers off guard. I think any of the series we've really talked about can catch a team off guard one way or another. Um, and you have to be able to, to figure out a team. Um, and again, there, there's, you know, a bunch of momentum riding. We'll see if the, the Nuggets are able to, um, they play tonight. Um, so we'll see if the Nuggets are able to, uh, to, uh, to, to go up to one in the series and, and shock uh, the NBA world. But, but uh, I, I think that it's, it's just a total group effort um, as opposed to I, I think that the Clippers are a more deeper team if you look at them, um, especially on paper. Um, you just look at the teams in general and, and the Clippers are just more deep. But um, again, we talk about Paul George. He needs to be more of a factor. Um, and yeah, I, I think that if I, – I don't know. I, I don't think you can hold Kawhi to, to just – uh, 13 points, I believe he had uh, last night. So I, I, I just don't think you can hold him um, to that much every single game. I think that you're going to have to have multiple defenders on him, and that's what they were able to do last night and, and contain him to a certain extent. But he's not going to be um, that Kawhi every single game. Um, you're going to have some times where he goes for 25-30, and, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's going to be a difficult job to contain them. And I think that if you, you can't contain their best player, um, they were able to do that in game two. But I don't, I don't really see that for the, for the future here in this series. Yeah, um, I think game one was really just – I mean, the, the Nuggets had more, much more of a grueling series. I know we just talked about the Rockets um, before, and they had a seven-game series. But I think they just – the Nuggets retired. I, you know, I, I was watching Scott Van Pelt was interviewing Jamal Murray after they won Game Seven versus the Jazz. And normally between playoff series, you get a, a little more time. I know now in the bubble, you know they're doing, you know, every other day you're playing a game, and and that can get taxing on these guys' bodies. Um, but you know, Jamal Murray was like, oh yeah, you know, we'll rest up and get ready for the next one. Scott Van Pelt was like, yeah, you'll get ready for this. Was on a Tuesday. He said, yeah, Thursday. And he goes, wait, what? We have to play Thursday. And he goes, yeah. So you could just see how much caught off surprise he was and how tired he looked. I think that, that showed in game one. Game two, I mean, they really came out, like you said, they're not going to hold Kawhi to 13 points um, every night. 
Um, but I think in game two, you saw Jokic and Murray, that one-two punch, really come out strong. Um, I don't know. Um, I, can, uh, I guess I'll make a prediction here. I, 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 I kind of feel Clippers in five, but I, I could see it going six. Um, I, I don't think the Nuggets can I, – I shouldn't say they couldn't win the series. They, they, they do – they can win it, but I just don't think it's there. Um, what worries me for the Clippers, though, is their, their on-off switch. Um, they seem to just kind of sometimes just go away. And I know we, we keep – it keeps coming up um, a lot. We keep talking about this Clippers-Lakers projected Western Conference Finals. And, and I know the Clippers are – or at least I hope that they would turn it on and really be ready for that series. But sometimes they just feel like, hey, you know, it's just kind of like they mosey through the game. And then once the fourth quarter comes, they try to turn on that switch to go. And it's just – it's not there. So I think that's the only thing that concerns me with the Clippers. Otherwise, listen um, – they're they're uh, they're a superior team, far superior. Their their depth is unmatched. Um, everything. Marcus Morris, I think, has played pretty well in this series. I know he had a kind of a controversial last series versus uh, Dallas and everything he's done. But um, I think it should be interesting though if Jamal Murray and Nikolai Jokic can can put up. You know, I know Jokic put up twenty six and eighteen last game, and Murray put up twenty seven. If they can do that. Um, consistently i don't know if they can i don't think they can but if they can put up something close to that it's going to be a competitive series i think um it won't be game one where where uh they got blown out by 20 and we're down even by further throughout the game um but i think it can be a competitive series i think those competitive games that go go to the clippers though so it should definitely be interesting i know we don't really have much to say in this series so it's kind of like the least <laughs> i don't even want to say it but it's kind of like the least interesting series. I don't know why. Um, I know Jamal yeah. Murray has really Jamal Murray though has really, I mean, um, surprised me in these playoffs, and and I've become a big fan of his in these playoffs for what he's done, um, just the numbers he's putting up and the effort he's putting out there. Uh, him and Donovan Mitchell. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about that, you know, the ending of that series, um, but him and Donovan Mitchell put it all out on the floor. Um, but that was a tough way for the Jazz to go out. I saw, you know, the, and, and the thing I respect most about uh, Jamal Murray, the first person to Donovan Mitchell when he was laying on the ground after that Game 7 loss was Jamal Murray. He came up, and, and they had a little moment together. Um, so I really respect him, and, and I respect both those players. So, But besides that, uh, you have any? You have a prediction for this series real quick before we get out of here? Um, I'm going to predict real quick. I have Clippers in six. Clippers in six. Yep. Sounds good. Guys, um, before I kick it to Jake, so you guys can go find us on social media, we are actually, I know we keep saying this, but we actually are putting out content on our Instagram now, more content. Jake's been doing um, something called Road to the League, uh, where he, you know, goes uh, and kind of gives you a little insight on players that we don't know much about. And we're also doing a series, Breakdown Basketball with Jake, um, another series he's doing just kind of, We've only done one so far. It was Jimmy Butler, the fourth quarter of game one. Um, mm. But just little snippets of, you know, he's breaking, trying to break down on um, some place for you guys in like a minute span. Uh, and we're posting them on Instagram. Uh, you know, he has his voiceover and stuff. So go check that out if you're interested. Um, we're really, you know, trying to put out a lot more content, not just this podcast once a week, and especially with the playoffs, like we said last podcast. So where can they go? Where can they go check that out, Jake? 
They can check us out, um, all the content on our Instagram at underscore on league underscore, and make sure to check us out every Saturday, Sunday, um, pretty much every weekend. We don't really have a set day, but every weekend, check out our podcast, um, all three streaming platforms, Apple Pods, Spotify, and the Anchor app. So make sure you guys check us out. Give us a listen. And like I said before, check us out on our social medias. I've been a lot more active on there. Um, like Ryan said, doing uh, gameplay breakdown um, with my voiceover and, and giving you guys insight of those. And then um, uh, one of my favorite series uh, out of the two series, which, which is uh, Road to the League, where I break down. I did one on Lou Dort. So if you guys liked watching him in that seven-game series against Houston, um, then go check out that video. I, I pretty much just go over his, his career before the NBA and, and really before getting a chance to – to play on this this OKC Thunder team. So go check out those videos. Um, I'm going to probably put one out within the next day or two, um, another breakdown basketball. So go check them out. Yeah, and like, like Jake said, we're, we don't have really a set date anymore, just also because normally the playoffs, you know, most series start on the weekends. But now the NBA is just kind of whenever, you know, they can get a chance to start a series. If two series end, they're just starting them. If that's midweek or whatever, like the, like the West uh, – semifinals have between you know the Clippers and Nuggets and and Lakers and Rockets so that's why you know we're kind of trying to do it and and get a podcast in when it's good enough that way we can make predictions but also talk about series ending and stuff so um, other than that guys peace out make sure to go check uh, Jake out on our social media he's going to be putting up a lot more of those videos like he just mentioned and and what he described and uh, we'll see you next week peace peace